Hi, my name is Phil Metzger, and in 1992 I moved to Moscow, Russia. From there I lived in the beautiful Central European country of Hungary, where my family and I spent the next 20 years living, learning, and sharing about Jesus. Different foods, culture, and language, but underneath it all we discovered the most amazing people. We learned that to share the gospel effectively, we had to adjust. We had to cross cultures. Now we're back in the U.S. and we're discovering that this country is a melting pot of culture. This show is committed to helping Christians connect to those who think, believe, and live differently than them. This is Crossing Cultures. We're in this series we're calling Super Apostles. If you have a Bible, take it please and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. If you have a phone that has the Bible app on it, open it up to 2 Corinthians 12. If you have our app, you can go into the Bible there to find it. It's important. I want you to be able to see for yourselves as we go through this. Um, Yeah, please mark, by the way, just a kind of follow-up to that announcement. Mark it on your calendars. That's a Memorial Day weekend, May 30th. It's Memorial Day weekend, so we thought it'd be fun to have a a picnic and do something all together. Three services, one church. That week will be one service, one church, and uh, with Jeremy and Adie, and we're going to have a good time. So uh, mark it, make sure, we'll be announcing it ad nauseum, you'll be bored of us telling you that, but uh, it's important. So if you're in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to pick up right here. Uh, when I, I'm going to ask you a question, and yes, you can an- please answer out loud, and let's figure this out. Uh, when I say paradise, now I know it's Sunday morning, you're going to say heaven, so let me just tick that one off the list. Besides that, when I say paradise, what do you think of? I heard Hawaii really fast. Okay. Cancun, and I know why, too. Don't even. Okay. Some people are on their way to Cancun. We, love, we hate them. We love them. No. Uh, what else? When you think of paradise, what do you think of? Chula Vista. That was a good one. What did you say back there? You think about God. Okay, yeah. What else? Hey, what about um, a baby who sleeps through the night? Anybody find that paradise? Yeah, come on, give it to me, all right. Right, because our idea of paradise isn't just a place, it's a whole concept of, uh, or what about this, when there's nobody fighting in the house? Right, when all the kids get along? Peace and quiet? Love, right, these are, these are brilliant ideas. When you think of paradise, we think of just like, it just feeds something in us, you know, and songs have been written about it, and poems have been written about it. I think of John Milton's Paradise Lost. We have so much literature that talks about paradise, a million different ideas out there to describe this idea of paradise. And into that, the writer here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul, who was writing to a group of Christians in the city of Corinth, he's going to tell us about his experience with paradise. And uh, it's going to, I think, hopefully enlighten us. By way of context, Paul has been writing a letter to a group of Christians who he has been kind of at war with, like a verbal, and like they've been frustrated with each other, and we've talked about it many times, and those frustrations were not just like small and personal, they were really deep. And again, not just personal, but they were deep attacks against the message of the gospel. You see, especially early on, and it's true even today, if we don't get the gospel right, we get everything wrong in the, in the, by, by way of proxy. If we don't get that foundationally laid down in our lives, then we will build on, on something that is not solid. And that was Paul's concern for the Corinthians. They were so, they were so into prestige and importance 
and power and titles. And by the way, none of, the, none of that's bad. There's nothing wrong with that. We live the, this ironic kind of a life where we live in two worlds. We live in the world today, and, you know, we've talked about this. Like, if you're going in for a job interview, you sell yourself. You tell them, this is what I offer. This is what I can do. I'm going to be great, all those kinds of things. But in the kingdom of God, the second kingdom that we're connected to and that we will be connected to for eternity, in that kingdom, humility is key. Servanthood is valued above all other things. Why? Because God so loved the world that he served us by giving his son. So the kingdom of God is upside down from the kingdom of this world, but a better way to say that is the kingdom of this world is upside down from God's kingdom. You will live far longer in the kingdom of our Lord than you will in the kingdoms of men. And because of that, we want to learn the character of God's kingdom and begin to treat each other and act and think and live in the light of that kingdom. The Corinthian Christians were struggling because Paul kept saying, I'm weak. And they were like, we don't want you to be weak. We want to prove to the world that we're awesome and we're amazing and we're good and we're strong. And Paul's like, I get what you want, but that's not the kingdom of God. You can't ask the kingdom of God to change because you want something different. And unfortunately for the Corinthians, their battle with Paul was a battle for the gospel. It wasn't just a personal thing. And so the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that if I would put my faith in the finished work of what he accomplished on the cross, if I'll give my life over to him, then I'll be born again. My sins will be forgiven. I'll be given a fresh start. It's an impossible concept in the world because nobody gets a fresh start in the world we live in. Nobody. It's not possible. It's, it's, it, it, it doesn't exist. And that's why it's hard for many people to imagine that's actually true, though, in the kingdom of God. God will give you and me a fresh start when we put our faith in him. And so the whole concept, and by the way, I got to tell you, the reason I think that the letter of 2 Corinthians is so important for us to look at in the days we're in is because we parallel so much of Corinth it's, just, it's pretty common. Western culture, we parallel a lot of it, so we learn a lot of valuable lessons. From the strongest among us to the emotionally weakest among us, all of us need God. That's the message of the Bible. From the very strongest to the very weakest, we're all in need of God. It's a part of what we would call our common humanity. So I want to pick up in verse 1 of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're not going to finish the whole chapter uh, but you on your own can read whatever I don't read this morning. Uh, we won't look at that uh, later, but you can do that on your own. Verse 1, 2 Corinthians 12. It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. How he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one I will boast. Yet of myself I will not boast, except in my infirmities. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool. 
For I will speak the truth, but I refrain lest anyone should think of me above what he, seen, he sees me to be or hears from me. If it's a little confusing, don't feel bad. He writes it in a really bizarre, weird way. He jumps in and out. Um, if you're like an English teacher, grammar teacher, he jumps in and out of first person, third person. First person, third person. It's a really weird way to talk. There was a Seinfeld show where the dude always spoke in third person. You guys remember that one? And you didn't know who it was. If you didn't, you're a Christian. It's okay. No. Uh, it was a great show. And, uh, you know, he kept talking in the third person. Nobody knew who he was talking about. Turns out it was him. That's what Paul does here. In fact, if you look at verse 7, I'm not going to read it right now, but if you just look at it, you'll see he goes back into first person. And so that's really important to understand what's actually happening here. So let's try to make some sense of what's happening and then explain its value for our lives today. Paul has been boasting about how much he suffered. If you look back in chapter 11, Paul talks about how he was beaten, how he was shipwrecked, how he was, you know, um, beaten by the Jews, beaten by the Romans, all this stuff. This was how Paul boasted about his relationship with God and his ministry of the word. Because other Christians were coming into where Paul started churches and they were saying, oh, I'm such and such and I'm such and such and I'm super important and you should listen to me. And then the Corinthians are like, well, we have, Paul's the one that started this. Oh, Paul's really cute, but he's, he's like a beginner. Like, that's a beginner class. We're going to help get you to the finish line. And they were boasting about who they were, but in the process of doing that, they were really changing the message of the gospel. They were taking away from the grace of God that anyone... You see, the power and the beauty of the message of the gospel today is that there's not one person on this planet that could not be born again. Now, please don't misunderstand that with people we don't want to be born again. There's a difference. There's people out there who are like, that person, oh, man, they'll never get saved. But that's my perspective. That's not God's. From God's heart, anyone who puts their faith in him is born again. It's a shocking kind of a, it's a shocking reality. And the, and the Corinthians were struggling with this. And so Paul shares a story here in 2 Corinthians 12 that is unlike anything he's ever said in any of his letters. And the dude wrote more than half of the New Testament and never told this story before. And we'll, we'll, we'll get into that in just a minute. He's sharing a story with a group of Christians who are upset with him. And it's a story he's told no one publicly. It's very, I mean, for sure he's told his friends, Titus, Timothy, Barnabas, people like that, Silas, for sure he's told them this story, but he's never written it. He's never boasted about it. He's never talked about it at all until right now. Why? Because he's going to use this. Do you remember our, our, our Brian Regan quote, you know, I walked on the moon? Paul's going to take this further. I went to heaven. I went to heaven. You're going to boast about your experiences with God? I beat you. And yet, there's something more happening. So, we'll, we'll look at that in just a minute. But this event happened, Paul tells us, 14 years before he wrote this letter. Let me try to give you some perspective. That's probably the year, and there will be a test. No, there won't be a test. But just, uh, you know, hear me out on this. 42 AD is probably when this event that Paul's talking about happened. Why does that matter? That's less than 10 years after Jesus died and rose again. Less than a decade after the, 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 the crucifixion and the resurrection. Paul has been, got saved. He got saved on the road to Damascus. 
And now, and then we're told, and we read it in 2 Corinthians 11, he was lowered in a bas- basket. Do you remember that? Super humiliating, lowered in a basket. And then he had to run and flee for his life. And so he ends up going back home where he's from for over a decade. He's back home. 14 or so years, he's just around back home. And during that time, he has this vision from God. Before he's written any letters, before he's preached any messages really, before he's the apostle that we all know, God gave Paul this vision of himself really, really early on. So what exactly happened? And and I want to break it down so that we can understand what's really going on here. Twice Paul repeats the same phrase. He says, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. What that means is this. Paul doesn't know, like, did this actually happen? Or was this like he was praying one day and then God just, you know, gave him this vision of this thing that happened. Did it physically happen or did it happen in the spirit? And Paul says, I have no idea. That's how real it was. You ever had a dream that you woke up from and felt it was so real? Or a nightmare? Those are even worse, right? You wake up from a nightmare and you're like, it happened. It's real. And it just kind of creates terror, you know? Paul says, listen, if this was not actually real, then I'm telling you, it was as real as it could ever have been. Whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. The second thing I want you to notice here is he says in verse 2 that he was caught up into the third heaven. We don't use terms like that today, but in that day they did. And it just meant this, and I'll put it up on the screen. First heaven, second heaven, third heaven. This is how the Romans understood, uh, you know, first heaven, atmosphere, second heaven, universe, third heaven, the place of God. So just to make sure you understand, when Paul says, I was caught up into the third heaven, he's meaning that I had an experience where I was in the dwelling place of God. That phrase, caught up, is a very unique unique phrase. It's really only used one other time. He says, I was caught up into the third heaven. And that's why my title for my message today is this, raptured. It's, It's raptured. That's because that phrase, to be caught up, is the very same phrase that Paul would later write about when he talks about how the church will one day be raptured or caught up to be with the Lord. Look at it on the screens here, 1 Thessalonians 4.17. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and we will be forever with the Lord. That same word, words to be caught up, is where we get the English translation of the word rapture. So Paul says, I was raptured. I was caught up. Whether it happened physically, I don't really know, but it was so real. I think it happened, but I, I have no way of really knowing. Now, This doesn't mean that there was, um, I want you to notice something that he says in here. He says, he says, I was caught up into the third heaven and I heard words that uttered that were inexpressible. Words that were inexpressible. It doesn't mean that Paul didn't understand the words. What it means is this. He has no way of translating or explaining that outside of this experience. So to try to like 
explain that to somebody wasn't going to make sense. For instance, I heard Hawaii, I heard Cancun, let's just use those. If I, if, 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 if Mark were to go to, I'm just going to pick on Mark, if Mark goes to Hawaii, right, and, and, and you want, if never, who's never been to Hawaii? You don't, don't, okay, most people, right? Okay, and so, and so you say, listen, Mark, I got a free ticket to Hawaii, but I don't want to go, I want you to go for me. First of all, you lost your mind. But if you did that, Mark will happily go for you, I promise you. And then he goes, imagine this, you say this, the only thing I want you to do is when you come back from Hawaii, I want you to sit down on Sunday for about 45 minutes and tell me all about Hawaii. Give me a message about Hawaii. Right, so Mark's going to get there, he's going to really enjoy, and he's going to come back, and he's going to sit down with you and give you a 45-minute sermon on Hawaii. But for those of you that have been to Hawaii, do you think a 45-minute sermon on Hawaii really does justice to the beauty and the smells and the sounds and the sights? Can it do it? No, right? Or you go to Cancun or, or you have a night with the kids not crying. How do you explain that to another mom? How do you explain that? Like, one day you will sleep through the night. They're like, don't shut up. You, it will never happen. Don't ever tell me that. I will never sleep another night, you know? No, one day you will. There's light on the end of the tunnel, you know. It's not a train, I promise. You will sleep, you know. It's impossible to explain it to somebody. Paul says, these things that I experienced in heaven, I can't explain this to you. Like, it's not a language issue. I don't know how to explain that. They were speaking in heaven but there's no way for me to explain it. I love what R. Kent Hughes said this about this passage. He said, most people, had they been granted an ecstasy like Paul's, wherein they actually had been raptured to paradise, they would scarcely be able to contain themselves. Today they would write a bestseller, My Rapture. They would have seminars on five steps to your own rapture. They would start a college called Rapture University. I love that. It's true. It's like, wait, I had this experience and you have to hear about it and buy my, you know, whatever. But can I encourage you in something? I really want to encourage you in something. Imagine this. Paul had an experience with God that he told no one publicly, but maybe just some of his friends. It was overwhelming how powerful it was, but it was his. And I want to encourage you in something. Have experiences with God. Have experience, oh, I don't like to, I don't like, can I even encourage you in something? I want to take that a little bit further. Even together when we're here, get outside of your comfort zone. Make yourself be a little bit uncomfortable to experience God, whether it's collective or private. Experience God. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. That is not cerebral. That is, that's about, I mean, explain tacos el gordo to somebody, huh? You can't do that in the head. It has to be eaten again and again and again. You understand what I'm trying to say here? Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Friends, we have got to stop this kind of very, this cerebral, like sit back, passive kind of Christianity. You're meant to experience God. Please, please experience God. Oh, that's not, that's not, that's not my personality experience God within the comforts of your personality, but even then get outside of yourself a little bit. Make yourself uncomfortable. Lord, I want to experience you. Can we experience God through the word of God? Absolutely. In fact, I don't know that you can apart from the word of God in one form or another. But in worship and in prayer, experience God. Paul had this experience that was so powerful. He couldn't even write about it to anybody 
He didn't talk to anybody about it, but now he felt it was important to tell people. Why? Because they were throwing around how important they were, how their experiences trumped anything that Paul ever knew. And so Paul's like, well, listen, if we're going to be foolish, then let's go there. I met God in heaven. I met God in heaven. Verse 7. But lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. God revealed some pretty amazing things to Paul when he was caught up into heaven, things he couldn't write about or speak about. And Paul says, and I I really need you to hear me when I say this, we're going to look at two perspectives on this experience. Right now, we're reading about Paul's experience. Paul says this, God gave me a thorn in the flesh to keep me from seeing myself as better than other Christians. I'm telling you right now, if I had that experience, I would believe I am way better than all of you. Wouldn't you feel that way? If you would like, like, I was caught up to heaven. Were you caught up in it? Oh, you didn't have that. Oh. How cute. Right? It would be so easy to have. I mean, I mean, obviously, if that happened, we wouldn't do that. But you could see in our flesh how easy that would be. So Paul says, so that I didn't lord over people or see myself as bigger than them, God gave me a thorn in the flesh. And that, that idea might bother you. Stay with me. This is his perspective. Paul was convinced that God knew that if, if, if Paul was left alone with this experience, he would go crazy. He'd be out there telling everybody, you're never going to believe what happened to me. God said this, and God said this, and God said this. And this happened, and this happened. Paul says that Satan affected him with this thorn in the flesh. And so we, 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 we acknowledge something in all of our lives. We don't like it, but we need to acknowledge it. And that is that while God is over all things, Satan has power to do certain things. And you read all about that in the book of Job. God allowed Job to suffer. God allowed Paul to experience this thorn in the flesh. And everybody wants to answer the question, what was the thorn in Paul's flesh? And the answer, you ready? Write it down. We don't know. Now read a book on that and you'll read all about what it was. And so I'll give you, I'm going to give you all the ideas that are out there. Any or all of them could be valid. Okay, one of them. that he, We know he had some kind of an eye infirmity. He had something going on with his eyes. It's possible that was that. He had some kind of a sickness that was plaguing him. It could have been that. It could have been some kind of a, just like a demonic attack that he experienced in a physical way upon his life. It could be that. We don't exactly know. Now, in one of the letters, Paul says, see with what big letters I'm writing to you. And so people have assumed that means because he couldn't see well, that must have been this thing. But we just don't know. We don't have enough information. And I want to tell you, I'm glad we don't know. Because if we knew, then we would make the assumption that that's the only thing. You know, if this happens, that's the bad thing. That's the devil. Instead, we don't know what it is. And I just want to remind you, as you choose to live for the Lord, you do have an enemy. It's not sitting next to you. Or in the kids' ministry. It's not your neighbor or boss or, 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 or the person who hates God more than anyone on the planet. That's not the enemy. In fact, Paul's very clear. We have one enemy. It's the devil. 
Now, you can say, well, I don't really know if I believe in that spiritual world. That's fine. The spiritual world really believes in you. <laughs> you don't have to believe, but, but the devil believes about you. And as you live for Christ, he will come after you in certain ways. Well, what are those exactly? I have no idea. We don't know. We don't know what Paul's afflictions were. And friends, each one of us could tell our affliction stories, and they might be a little bit different. Every one of us, a little bit different, a little bit different. And I think God intentionally leaves things vague enough for you and me to have to say, God is at work in my life, but there's an enemy that's at work in my life too. Even if I don't want him to be, there are... And then, by the way, there's a third character in the world working against us. The world, life. Bad things just happen sometimes. It has nothing to do with the devil. Sometimes bad things just happen. But Paul, and, and here's the thing, like, so, so let me rephrase this. Okay, Paul has this amazing experience with God. But so that he doesn't get all, like, prideful, Paul says, God gives him a thorn in the flesh from Satan. And so my conclusion could be this. Well, I don't want the thorn in the flesh from Satan, so don't give me the experience. Just let me be like everybody else. Don't let me have that. Don't make me do something or experience something outside of the norm because I don't want to have to deal with that. But listen, Paul never said that. You see, I don't have grace for other people's problems or trials. I try to imagine that sometimes. Like, if this happened, one of my best friends in Hungary, um, his wife was killed in a car accident. It was a terrible, terrible time for all of us. And my head's like spinning, like, what if this happened to me? I had no grace for that scenario. Zero. But God gave him grace for his reality. My scenario, no grace. His reality, so much grace. To where I couldn't even understand how he could go through what he was going through. And I think we've got to be so careful that we don't try to imagine the grace of God into a scenario that isn't our reality because we won't understand it. Paul never said, I wish I never had that experience. Not one time. For him, he's like, yeah, I got this thorn in the flesh, but wow, do I have an experience. And by the way, it's not just that he had a moment experience. Paul had something that was fueling his, his reality. It kept him going. Every beating, every night that he was hungry and homeless and cold, every night he spent in jail, Paul could just go back to that, not to live in the past, but to remember that one day he would be with God in that moment. That thing that he experienced was so valuable that one day he was going to be back with the Lord. So every beating, he's like, you know what? This stinks, but one day I'm going to be with God again. So it was not just a one-moment experience, but it fueled him. But this perspective is a hard perspective. God gave me this beautiful moment with him, but so that I don't get prideful, he's making me experience pain. That's a tough thing to, to accept. But I want you to see this a little bit from the Lord's perspective. Verse 8. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with God three times that it might depart from me. And he said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Underline that sentence, that phrase. This is the Mount Everest of the book of 2 Corinthians. It's the whole key to the whole book. My, uh, my strength is made perfect in weakness. 
Continuing, therefore, most gladly I will boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Verse 10, therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. First of all, let me say this. I'm so glad that when Paul suffered, he didn't just say, oh, blessed be the name of the Lord, because that is completely unrelatable to me. I love that he says, I cried out three times. If you need it to be more clear, he wasn't like, dear heavenly father. No, he's angry. He's hurt. It's the word, the, the same word is used for all kinds of emotions of just, just total like power. Like, like what is happening? Chaos, frustration, hurt, pain, loneliness, isolation, all of that. Paul cries out three times, please let this get away from me. Three times, he says, I begged God to take this away. Why only three times? There's no magic in the number three, by the way. Oh, I prayed three times. This is not like, you know, click your heels and all that, and you'll end up back at home. Why did Paul only pray three times? I'll tell you why. You ready? Because God answered him after the third time. If God doesn't answer you and your frustrations after three, go for four. Go for five. Go for six. Go for 1,041. Keep going. Oh, I don't, you know, I was talking to somebody this week and they're like, man, I'm really kind of angry with God and I feel so bad to be angry with God. Let me remind you, God's a big boy. He already knew you were angry. Better that you just get it out with him and talk it through. Work it out. Don't hide it. You're hiding something he's already aware of. What's worse? It's worse to just hide it and act like everything's good when God knows you're not okay and he's okay with that you're not okay with you expressing that to him. So Paul begs God, please take this away from me. And then the Lord answers Paul and he says this, my grace is sufficient for you. That's a terrible answer. <laughs> the answer that I want to hear is, okay, Lord, please take away this thorn in the flesh. Okay is the only answer I'm looking for. It's not the answer that Paul got. My grace is sufficient for you. What does it mean? Well, God tells us. Paul tells us what the Lord said to him. My strength is perfected in weakness. That my strength is perfected in weakness. Now, can anything make God stronger? No. But grace revealed through human weakness shows the power and the beauty of the grace of God. Remember we talked about this last week. Weaknesses are not sins. When somebody says that, like, they did something they're not supposed to do, and somebody says, hey, you shouldn't have done that, and they say, oh, I'm just really weak. No, that's not weak. That's sin. Weakness is my inability to ever fix that. My inability to make things right, to get out of that. Every time I try to get out of one hole, I have to dig another hole to bury that hole. I can't get out of the, 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 the system. It's always there in my life because I'm weak. Grace is perfected when we allow God through our weaknesses to reveal his strength. This is the Mount Everest of the entire book of 2 Corinthians. It's everything that Paul wants to say. 
And I'm going to throw verses on the screen, or maybe, I'm not sure. If I didn't, you can write these down. I'm not going to read them all right now, but I want you to look over them, or just to, you can re, you know, reconsider these. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, Paul writes about weakness. Yeah, it is here. Okay? In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 through 12, Paul writes about the treasures in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power of God is revealed through these broken human vessels. In other words, strength in weakness. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 4 through 10, again, you can read these on your own. Paul once again says it, that in distress, in stripes, in imprisonments, in fastings, in all these things, God was revealed strong through his weakness. What exactly is, and we're going to conclude with this here for today, What is power in weakness? What is that? Because you have to understand this whole concept does not work in the world as a concept. But it is the way the kingdom revolves. What is power in weakness? It's the cross. Imagine it. That on the day...